This is Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master, creating products customers love. Get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad. Hello, product masters. Today, we're talking about how organizations can better support innovators and improve their innovation capability, taking a systems perspective on this. The work product managers and leaders do, I think of it as the lifeblood of organizations because they're creating the innovations that drive revenue and contribute to a sustainable organization. We're going to take a kind of bigger context on this, I think, in this discussion. We'll see where that goes. And to help us through this, we have an expert guest, Dan McClure. Dan, you are a system strategist and an agile product manager who has helped organizations envision and create higher impact innovations. You have over 30 years of hands-on experience shaping system-level initiatives that combines business and technology, and I'm very glad you're with us. For listeners, if you want a detailed written summary of anything that we're talking about, and there's also a one-page action guide to help you put into action the key concepts that we'll discuss, you can find all that at productmasterynow.com slash 349. Dan, thanks for being with us. Well, it's really good to be here, Chad. So first, I'm always fascinated with talking with people that have an interest and even a love, a passion for innovation. As an innovation strategist and architect, maybe you can break that down for us a little bit, what that means. But first, what drew you into innovation work? You know, Chad, I think there are some people who that's all they can do. And for me, I have never been any good at anything except imagining new stuff. So whenever I tried to have a job where I was going to be organized or I was going to manage details or any of those things, I was really not good at it at all. But on the idea of imagining big things, I recall doing that in second grade with a project where we were like imagining what a medieval castle would look like. And that just has continued throughout my entire life. Every time that I've been given a choice to turn left or turn right, if there was a big, gnarly, messy problem on the right, that's the direction I went. I really find myself drawn to burning buildings. I'd like to run into burning buildings. Okay, a little dangerous there, but you're drawn to these complex problems, the, the wicked, messy things that need help. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I have a similar appreciation for the I can't do anything else thing, right? Which is I ended up in an electrical engineering uh, program in college because there was nothing else that I felt was particularly interesting to me or that I could do. So <laughs> that, that was my default choice. Yeah. And it's interesting because in college for me, I ended up in an engineering program also, mm -hmm. but I couldn't stay inside the bounds of the engineering program. So I ended up getting classes in business and classes in philosophy and classes in, you know, all computer science. And at this was at a time where a multidisciplinary degree wasn't the thing. And so just the whole idea of there's more stuff out there, I think for some people is a really exciting and, and motivating thing. Yep. Yeah. Drawing the different disciplines together is really interesting. And as an engineer, you know, wired as an engineer, doing engineering work as my career grew, you find out the really fascinating problems involve people, yeah. right? Not circuits or math. So people are much more <laughs> messy to work with. Absolutely. So we're, we're going to dive into this. This is one of the organizational elements for sure of us. But give us a little context here, what you mean by innovation strategist and architect. So innovation strategist really, for me, has a specific context around system innovation. 
So, you know, obviously there are many things that you can do strategy on. You could have a portfolio of mobile apps that you want to prioritize and you could consider that an innovation strategist. For me, the definition is really more around the solution that you're creating and the problem you're addressing deal with an interconnected system. So when you're thinking about, for example, how do I approach a new market? We're not thinking about it in terms of how do I create a mobile app or how do I, you know, extend an existing service? We're talking about how do I really reinvent that industry or how do I reinvent the company? So think instead of improving taxicab service by putting charge card capabilities inside a taxicab, we're going to reimagine that entire industry by going and creating something like Uber or Lyft, you know, where you've really changed not one piece, but all the pieces and made them come together in a different way. And for me, that's what an innovation system strategist is about, is this ability to really see that big complex problem and then make all the changes necessary to imagine an entirely new way of working. Yeah, so it's definitely a, a larger frame of the problem looking at the problem space. And, and in that disruption, innovation disruption kind of space, how can we do things better by doing them differently? Yeah, and really, it, it's an incredibly powerful approach, even if it's a more complicated approach to, to mm -hmm. innovation. So, you know, you end up basically saying, I can change all the rules. I can bring in new pieces that have never been there before. And you can get synergies and possibilities and open doors that have been closed all by changing the whole system. And that's really what's exciting to me about it is it's this opportunity to paint on a really big canvas in with ways that you've never been able to paint before. Right. I think this is an important topic for our product managers that listen, that are working towards product mastery here with us, because it's easy for us at times to have our focus more tactically oriented and we're trying to create value for the customer. We do tend to think strategically at times, certainly as well. But um, thinking bigger is good for all of us. And sometimes we can think about the problem completely differently and come up with much uh, better approaches. First, I want to ask you, though, as we move into this, just about innovation, kind of in general, you can talk about it at the system level if you want, but why is it organizations just struggle with innovation? So I think the problem of innovation with an organization is often framed as, why can't that innovation adopt my idea? And, you know, why do we have a hard time getting investments for my new mobile app or whatever it is? And while that's an issue, I think in many cases it misses the bigger challenge because the way I'd really like to reframe your question is why do organizations have a hard time creating innovation that actually matters? Like what do we need to do if I'm in an industry that's being disrupted to survive as a business? That should be the real question we're asking ourselves, not how do I get a smaller, more incremental innovation adopted, but rather, how do I get the entire organization to embrace this bigger, more complex change? And I think that's the way system innovators tend to approach these things, is the challenge is not necessarily simply getting an innovation done, but rather, how do I make the innovation big enough to matter strategically and over the long term for the company? 
Okay. So this is in situations where we're in a very turbulent environment. Yep. Things are changing. There's disruption coming. And as an organization, we're trying to figure out how to survive. Where do we go next in the midst of all these changes and disruption around us? Yeah. And the innovator, of course, has the added responsibility of not simply saying, oh, Nirvana's over to the left. Please, please head in that direction but actually getting to that nirvana. And I mm -hmm. think that's a really big responsibility because you're now saying it's not simply enough to say you need big change, but you need to imagine how to create big change that works. And this is where I think there's some real challenges around the way we've been talking about product management for the last 10 years or so. Well, that's interesting. Then I, I want to get into that is how does this relate to your perspective on product management, since that's what everyone listening is here about, how to become better product managers and leaders in, in product work. Um, so so let, let's focus on the product leader aspect first, right? What do you see that role as or what maybe it needs to become to support this level of systems innovation kind of work? Yeah, let me, let me give an example that's a little less businessy oriented. Okay. So what we normally say with, with product, and, you know, a lot of this comes out of sort of the Stanford D school framing of, of product innovation is that we're to identify a user, select a user need, and then delight the customer by creating an effective product that satisfies that need. And this is really all about getting some focus on what it is that you're trying to do and who you're trying to do it for. Now let's imagine we have a more real-life challenge that we might face, which is I need to plan a holiday party where all the extended family is going to come in together and we're going to have an evening spent together. Now there's tons of movies, you know, done about the, the challenges of this. But let me ask, wh who is the user? in that party. There's really no single person who's the user. It's your grandma. It's your grumpy uncle. It's the seven kids that come in. Everybody is a potential user in that party. And so what we need to do when we're imagining how to design that party is not delight one person, but rather imagine how we provide value, how we satisfy the key needs, of all of these different people at once. And so the phrase that, um, you know, we often use is everyone needs to get a pony. There has to be a solution in which trade-offs are recognized and balanced and all the pieces come together in a way that everybody walks away satisfied. And that's really difficult if you imagine doing a holiday party. Frankly, I don't know that I've ever successfully executed one of those, but if you start imagine even more, even bigger, more complex challenges, like let's imagine we need to integrate some new technology into a hospital operation. Now we've got hospital administrators, we've got doctors, we've got nurses, we have tons of other people who are all part of the fabric of a hospital. We have not only those folks that are part of the obvious hospital structure, but We'll need to have vendors that can support this equipment. We'll need to have training, somebody who can in instruct and teach the people how to use the equipment. And so the actual solution, the system solution for making all of these pieces fit together is once again, not about delighting one person, 
but about seeing how all of these pieces fit together and how we make them a whole functioning solution that is complete, sustainable, and scalable. Okay. So there's a lot in there. To, to me, this sounds like a multi-stakeholder uh, kind of role, right, as the solutions architect here. Oh, absolutely. Right. You're addressing the needs of all the stakeholders. And some stakeholders might be more apparent than others, but uh, you mentioned the word sustainable too, right? So that this is something that extends into the future and maybe is concerned with the larger environment of stakeholders, like the physical environment, the community you're in, the stakeholders around the system. Yeah. And I think you know, this, this type of thinking, which is, is generally classified as soft systems thinking, mm -hmm. deals with systems, like you mentioned before, where people are an integral part of the system and not simply as gatekeepers of adoption, but they're part of the cogs of the whole, the way things work together. And one of the things that, you know, the systems thinkers of the seventies and eighties, churchmen, Akoff, et cetera, realized when they tried to apply this kind of, you know, innovation thinking to complex, messy problems was they're not the sort of thing that you can simply analyze. You can't take and come up with a concrete, detailed analysis that you could optimize through a computer because all the parts are continuously changing. The trade-offs are unclear of who's who should get what. And there is this path dependence that every change you make, things move in a new direction that you have to account for. So they called it wicked problems. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of bothers me in a way because it makes it sound like, you know, well, who would want to go work on a wicked problem? That seems like, you know, a fool's errand. But the reality is these complex systems are incredibly powerful. And when you think about something where you've got a really big, wicked problem, but you've also got incredibly powerful tools. For me, that's exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you can solve a wicked problem and help an organization move in a different direction, wow, that, that's some significant change. So, okay. So that kind of helps frame a little bit the traditional product work, creating value for the customer, satisfying their need. And this kind of system level innovation architect work of serving the needs of all the stakeholders, making sure there's value for everyone, that everyone gets a pony, yeah. right? And we're trying to optimize everything. So back to that role of the product leader, maybe it's a different sort of, of leader. I need to give him a name, her a name. What's the kind of work that they're doing to help an organization be successful in kind of the systems innovation uh, perspective. Yeah. So I think, you know, you mentioned names and names are always really, I think, significant when you're doing creative. If a job doesn't have a name, I would argue that the job doesn't exist. Until you name something, people can't latch on to its existence and pull together all the pieces. So We've been talking about this role as a choreographer since phrases like system architect have so many other definitions in other contexts. And basically, the job of the choreographer is first to see the whole problem. Their job is to look across the entire challenge and see not just one stakeholder or one function or one problem, but rather see the entire interconnected web of challenges and opportunities. The second job, then, is to imagine a future system that is better than the existing system. And this is a really big shift often from many of the ways we've thought about innovation in the past. So 
In the past, many innovators would see a whole big messy problem area and then start chipping away at individual pieces of problems. So I'm going to go fix this, and then I'm going to go fix that, and we create a roadmap of the things we're going to fix piece after piece after piece. The problem is that doesn't necessarily lead you to a future system that's better or more effective. And so what we're looking for with a choreographer is somebody who can help imagine an entirely different system where all the pieces fit together in this new way. And I think, you know, you look at problems like climate change. Climate change will not necessarily, will not be solved by making small incremental changes to the way the world works. We're going to have to have some new systems in place. And so the choreographer's job is to imagine that new system. And then if you think about, well, what does that require? Well, that requires somebody who's a generalist. And, you know, we were talking about this at the beginning of the podcast. You know, the person who looks across multiple domains. You know, there's the famous T-shaped person who knows a little bit about everything and then is a specialist. In my experience, choreographers are centipede-shaped people. So they have lots of different areas of specialty that oftentimes don't relate to one another. And by being these generalists, being these people who can see across, you know, many domains, they can also work with many different types of users. And so they tend to be boundary breakers and seen oftentimes as rebels within traditional companies. Like, why are you going and talking to Joe? Joe's not in, in this, in this project. And choreographers naturally do that sort of horizontal cross-cutting work. And finally, and this really gets to the, the key aspect of what do you need a choreographer to be able to do to get adoption is they're great storytellers. They can't, they won't necessarily have the evidence of you're going to get two FT reduction in staffing if you put this system in like you would if you were optimizing something. But instead, they're going to be in a position to say, imagine this new future. And so storytellers are often troubadours or bards of a way things could be. Okay. So there's a lot in there that we probably don't have time to unpack, but the uh, centipede-shaped people, that's a new term for me. I don't know if that's yours or it comes from somewhere else. Uh, it's just a natural extension. You go T-shaped and then pie-shaped, which have two legs, and then mm -hmm. like centipede-shaped with many, many, many legs. Many legs. Okay. So depth in many areas and still a, a lot of breadth across areas. So that they can be those boundary breakers working cross-functionally between yeah. functions. And good storytellers as well so that they can influence others and try to create some momentum and persuade people towards a, a new, uh, vector them towards a new vision of what things could be, right? How often do you find, I, I assume you're one of these sorts of people who, who helps with this, as opposed to that being an individual person, can this also be a, a team, a collection of, of people to make this happen? What's your experience with that? So I think there are a lot of different activities that choreographers are engaged in. Certainly, storytelling is something that a group of people can engage in. In my experience, the act of actually synthesizing complex systems is something that a small team, a small group can sometimes work on, but it's much harder to do like we would do with a normal sort of post-it note, invite everybody in, da-da-da-da-da-da. There's oftentimes needs, I think, for this type of role to engage with smaller select groups where they might engage with a number of different groups for, for this kind of activity. That being said, I think in general, choreographers tend to come in pairs. 
So there is often a visionary choreographer, the person who's like, imagine the future. And, you know, they're standing there waving their hands, etc. And then there's a more practical action hero choreographer of somebody who basically says, yeah, 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 but here's how you actually get to the future. And oftentimes it seems like these pairs, you know, the Steve Jobs, the the Steve Wozniaks, the mm-hmm. Allen and Gate work really well together to create both vision and the ability to act in complexity. Right. So you need that person that is casting what the future may be like and the executor who can help get there. Yeah, but it's a systems executor. So this is not just a project manager. Right. It's somebody who actually understands how to mangle and change systems and make them actually transform themselves. Okay. So there are people in organizations right now that are listening to this that see some disruption happening in their industry, in their space, right? Yeah. And they're probably concerned about what the future may bring, and they have some ideas about what to do with this. Uh, this might be the Kodak-type moment, right? Yeah. We're really good at film, high-profit high business. We see this little digital camera thing going on, which happened, we happen to own the patent on coincidentally, but mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're ignoring that because of this high-profit business. But someone in that organization is going, man, we're headed towards disruption, right? And that's happening in lots of companies. What what can that person that's listening now say, you know, I see the disruption coming. I need to get some people to pay attention to this problem so we can create some momentum here to do something about it. Maybe I need to get some organizational leaders to you know, help support at least recognizing this. What's your advice to help the product manager move towards that and certainly the you know, if there is a choreographer in the organization that they can go grab a hold of and say, you know, do you see this too? Yeah. Well, the ideal thing would be that the product manager actually is realizing that they've got some choreographer in themselves. So, okay. you know, they could, they could possibly be that person. But I think, you know, you identify the first thing very well is go find the natural allies, go find yep. the people who resonate with the story, but also who bring the kinds of skills and capabilities that you might need. So you're right, find a choreographer or find somebody who's in support of that kind of work. But then I think this is where the storyteller part comes in. And one of the things that choreographers can sometimes slip into is they see this big picture of the problem. And the more they think about it, the more they see how dark things are and how truly the response of the company isn't even beginning to rise to the level of the challenge. And so what they end up doing is they march into the boss's office and they say, the world is coming to an end. You have mismanaged the entire operation. And they take this dead rat and throw it on the desk and then march out. And... That's really, while that may establish some unease and urgency, it doesn't actually generally move people forward. So you don't want to just deliver a dead rat. What you want to do is you want to walk in with, here's the dead rat, take a look at it, see how ugly and everything it is, and then present a vision of how things could actually work. So this is the real key thing of a systems innovator versus simply a rabble rouser is the system innovator imagines the future system. And that then becomes the, the path forward because you say dead rat, you want to get away from this, but here's where you could actually go to. 
And if you've got that action hero choreographer, they're going to help plot the path of how you could do it. Excellent. Good. I will follow up on that in just a moment. First, I want to take a, a quick break for a sponsor mention, which is the Rapid Product Mastery Experience, the RPM Experience. This is how organizations go about helping their product managers, their product teams, and even directors and senior leaders get on the same page, understanding a framework for product management and, and building collaboration along the way, having a better customer focus, and really making momentum on understanding not just how they do things, right, what the processes are, but the the why behind that. And the why is very empowering, knowing why that they do what they do and then being able to adjust that for the right situation and, and changing the work as is. this is actually the process that I help companies through the RPM. It's a nine week journey. We meet for an hour and 15 minutes a week virtually and teams transform, leaders transform. There's great benefits in how they now understand to be more productive and meeting the needs of their customers and getting everyone on that same page is powerful. If you want to find out more about that, just go to productmasterynow.com slash RPM. Okay, Dan, so other ways of getting people on the same page here, I'm curious about, since I just mentioned that with the RPM experience, yeah. as you're talking about being that choreographer, right, going to maybe who might be the senior leader ally that you can share, you know, we're seeing all these signs of disruption coming. This is going to be the end of our organization if we keep going down this path. Here is a better path that we can take. Let's say the senior leadership team is on board with this, right? I remember one one senior leadership team that was going through a big transformation and the CEO was having some resistance from the, some of the, the senior VPs and finally said, okay, we all recognize what we're doing now doesn't work. Let's try this new path for a year. And if it doesn't work, we can always go back to what we already know is not working, right? To try to create some of that yeah. tension that we have to make change change things. But organizations tend to kind of, you know, as an employee of the organization, we tend to kind of like doing what we're doing because that's what we know has worked in the past. Even if we see the writing on the wall that it might not work in the future, we know it has worked in the past. Yeah. How, what are your suggestions for dealing with that organizational resistance to that change? You know, there's a phrase called the frozen middle, which really talks about middle management who is very dedicated to preserving the systems of the status quo. And the realization that an innovator may have it, have to have is that you're not going to persuade somebody whose primary job is defending the status quo for keeping those systems in place to actually embrace the level of change you have. You may very well need to work around those people as opposed to you know, making them supporters of a change that just literally makes no sense to them from the frame that they're working from. Mm -hmm. So if that's, let's say that's the case, what are you going to do about that? Well, first off, you don't try to make everything a big, we're blowing up all everything and everything's going to change all at once across the entire organization. The immune systems of the organization ought to kick in at that point, and you're going to find yourself in a really difficult position. What we found works best is looking for a vertical slice of the organization. So find a senior executive, find some middle managers below them, find some people on the ground who all want to take this adventure of creating a new slice of the system. And then you basically do a portion of the total vision that moves you in the right direction. It puts a brick in the wall for the wall that you want to build, 
but also does things like answers key questions. You know, is there really a market? Will this really work? How will these people collaborate? And positions you to make adaptive choices that move you in a slightly better way towards the future. So this goes really well with, you know, traditional agile models of we should be doing agile iterative type work, except now you're thinking about agile iterative work at a systems level, how a series of pieces need to fit together to create value. And you're having an entire slice of the organization engaged in that. Excellent. Yeah, that's a big challenge, right? And in organizations, we need that continued revenue coming in. The existing model has to, you know, continue for some time. And the metaphors that I've been using, you know, we're we're trying to change the tires on the car while it's going down the highway or we're rebuilding the airplane while it's flying. But this is what needs to happen, maintaining the existing work as we can. And then while we're also moving towards the envisioned future to either deal with the disruption that's coming or be the disruptor and create new paradigms. Yeah, I I think that's really an exciting thought, too, is just, you know, when you start talking systems innovation, you have the opportunity to respond to threat. So, you know, you see the disruption coming at you, the train's about to run you over, you know, et cetera. But it also allows you to become the disruptor, become the person who imagines a new way of doing things. So it's not simply... You know, in many competitive environments in the past where you're dealing with incremental change, you're just trying to keep up with everybody else. You know, you're fighting over this small, ever-shrinking slice of profitability. You know, when you deal with systems innovation, you can say, well, I'm not only going to get out of the train, I'm going to become the next train. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a different way of thinking about the problem, right? You're really reframing in a much larger perspective. And we, we need that as product managers at times. We, we need to think bigger than we do some of the times. So I appreciate you helping us think through aspects of uh, systems innovation and what that might mean to us. As listeners know, we love innovation quote around here. What did you bring for us? And tell us what that means to you. Yeah, so, so my quote is from a guy called Daniel Burnham. He was a famous architect of the um, late 18th, late 19th century, early 20th century. And he did things like architect the white city in the Chicago City Fair, uh, World Fair, and was, you know, a major architect in imagining how Chicago would work in, as it went through, look as it went through its great growth phase in the, in the early 20th century. And he has sort of a three part quote here, and I'm going to quote for the first two parts. And it goes like this. Make no little plans. They have no magic to stir man's blood and presumably will not be realized. Make big plans. Aim high in the hope and work, remembering that a noble logical diagram once recorded will never die. So here's what I really like about this quote. The first part about make no little plans, because they have no magic to stir man's blood, really gets to the point of innovators and systems innovators, that we often think that it's easier to sell a small idea, when in reality, a big, bold vision really is better positioned to get people on board and really excited about things. Mm -hmm. The other part is this last bit about a noble logical diagram. 
System innovators don't work from post-it notes. System innovators work from pictures about how the world fits together. And so this idea of pulling together a picture of how everything works really allows your idea to persevere and survive even as it's handed from person to person and as it goes through transformation. So making no little plans and then drawing a great picture of where you're going, to me, that's a really inspiring quote. I like that. The make no little plans for some reason is is more catchy to me than make really big plans, right? It's like, oh yeah, who wants to make little plans, right? If you're going to take the time. And that picture is a great collaboration tool, right? That's why we have the one-page canvases of, of many forums. Having that yeah. picture gets people engaged and it's a great collaboration tool. So thank you very yeah. much for sharing that with us. So most importantly, Dan, how can people find out about the work that you do and the resources you may have available? Yeah, so as you might guess, I'm an evangelist for system innovation. I feel like this is really an innovation practice that differs from what we've done in the past and really needs new skills and capabilities. So I've been part of a collaboration at innovationecosystem.com where we really focus on what are practical applications of systems thinking, what not, you know, academic and theoretical things, but how do we really make systems work as a creative tool? So innovationecosystem.com is the answer. Excellent. Dan, thanks for sharing that URL with us. I will have that in the show notes and listeners. You can find, again, the detailed discussion of everything we talked about written up for you and the one-page action guide, along with that link to Dan's resources at productmasterynow.com slash 349. Dan, thanks for joining us today. It's been great chat. I, I always like to talk about this. It's, it's good fun to imagine how you reimagine the world. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.